0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is P. Andrew Sandlin. And he is um, a friend. He's founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership in Coulterville, California. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Dan, and it's great to be on, and I really appreciate your kingdom advancing work during these days.
0: Well, praise the Lord, Andrew, and um, our listeners, um, most of which I would say are a member of a church, in a church of some sort, um, and they love the Lord Jesus, that's most of our listeners and um, probably have some of the same concerns you and I do. Um, We see uh, things like, well, let's take current events. Uh, COVID comes up, Uh, you know, a a real pandemic. And yet um, we see overbearing governors and mayors um, trying to take away our rights, let's say, to gather for worship on the Lord's Day. And uh, you almost get the feeling that, sometimes we have a tendency in the Christian world to try to lay down as a mat and let people walk all over us and ignore the fact that we're in a living, at least right now, in a constitutional republic, and we do have stipulated privileges called rights um, to free speech and freedom of assembly and that sort of thing. And the last thing we want to have happen to our churches, Andrew, is have big government come in and start telling us how to worship, when to worship, uh, what we can't sing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So let's talk a little bit about this, and this, I think, ties into a book that you've recently written, and maybe you can tell our listeners about that.
1: Yes, uh, thanks so much, uh, Dan. It's titled, uh, it's an ebook. book uh, you can get it on Amazon, it's titled Religionless, Christianity, And the subtitle is uh, a little catchy, Why the Faith in America is Toothless, Spineless, and Harmless. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's a collection of short essays, seven or eight short essays. But it really begins, uh, the title begins, with an event that happened in the Walmart men's bathroom. Don't worry, it's very clean. <laughs> um, there were two young men uh, it was a couple years ago, two young men were talking to one another while I was in the restroom, and one of them said, um, I've uh, I've just trusted in Christ. The other one said, great to hear that. He said, man, for a long time, I didn't want any of that stuff. He says, I don't want religion. And the other said, oh, don't, under- don't, don't worry about that. Trusting in Christ uh, is a relationship, and it's not a religion. And I thought how wrong that was. Uh, the term religion comes from the expression religio uh, which means to bind in the ancient world, it would mean to bind to of course the true Jehovah God or among pagans it was used to bind to their gods it's basically the notion that we must be devoted that uh, that the deity has uh, the right to dictate to us and that we are responsible to worship him, and of course now I'm speaking of the true God, the biblical God, the the Jehovah God. Uh one thing I point out in the book and the premise of the book is that too much of Christianity today is based on the notion of a bilateral uh parity relationship. The God is sort of our buddy. And uh he is meant to meet our life's needs and uh we have goals in life and we have uh disappointments and he's his his goal is to meet our disappointments and to help us to get through life well there's an element of truth in that anybody reading the psalms would recognize that but the bible fundamentally presents god as the great loving but nonetheless sovereign god who dictates to his people and binds us in covenant to himself so this includes a number of chapters it's interesting you would mention about covid and the state next week's e-newsletter which you're uh that i put out called culture change which you're listeners can get and we can talk about later, uh, is titled Separation of Church and Stateism. Mm. A little twist there rather than the separation of church and state. But um, we need a little more of the separation of church and stateism. Oh amen. The separation of the church from the notion that the state can dictate everything. That's one thing that I deal with in this book about religionless Christianity. And I think one reason the church has capitulated to these shutdown orders, thank God there are no, notable exceptions, but on the whole, churches, including the most conservative churches, have capitulated to these uh, shutdown orders is because they are committed to, generally, a religionless Christianity. that They don't feel bound by God. In fact, if anything, they feel more bound by the civil magistrate, more bound by the state than they do by the sovereign God. Uh, and in that way, and in other ways, the church and modern Christianity have sort of given up the faith they would never acknowledge that because they've redefined the faith the faith is more about a a sort of a parity relationship that i meet god on equal terms and he and i are friends and buddies and shake hands they may not put it that way but they live as though they believe it's that way rather than god is the great overarching sovereign god who loves us but draws us in the covenant with himself and he is the one that is sovereign in the covenant and dictates his terms to us and we lovingly obey him those are two different views of uh, of the faith
0: yes yes um some people might listening to this might say oh man he's he's just dry old religion i do have relationship he doesn't know what he's talking about how would you respond to somebody like that
1: yeah that's a good <laughs> interesting response. If you'll think about it, the covenant is a relationship. In fact, when we talk about relationship in the Bible, that is the legitimate relationship. There is no better way to describe relationship in the Bible than covenant. It's mm. from Genesis from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But covenant is not what people have in mind today when they talk about relationship. It's more of the romantic idea that I play a little part and I have an emotional attachment to someone. In this case, I have an emotional attachment to God, and because I sort of like him and like the idea of God and Jesus dying for me, I'm going to be close. But, you know, sometimes I may not feel as close, and therefore I might drift and then maybe go to another relationship, rather than understanding that the relationship is a covenant itself, that we are bound. A covenant is binding. A covenant is serious. A covenant in the Bible is bound by an oath, and often a a a bloody oath to show how serious and of course the central covenant in the bible is the new covenant which was confirmed in our lord's very blood shedding on the cross showing his relational covenantal love for his people but thereby in purchasing them see that's that covenantal language again we see that Mm. in peter and elsewhere purchasing them with his own blood so we are his property that's why the bible says we are bond slaves that's language we don't like to hear today in our age of autonomy (laughs) and of course if they're Obviously, false and evil, slavery in the U.S. But the notion of slavery is not inherently anti-biblical. We're slaves of the sovereign God, but loving slaves, because He brings us into a relationship with Himself and prom- with Himself, and promises to love us and care for us and provide for us. And we promise fealty—that's an old medieval expression, fealty or loyalty to Him. That is the kind of relationship we're to have with God, and not the sort of subjective, romantic idea of relationship that is prominent today.
0: I love the idea, too, of um, seeing the gospel pervade society. Uh, We made uh, reference to government and our leaders, and um, we're often reminded that we're to be subject to the governing authorities and uh, that these authorities come from God, but in that same portion of Scripture, it describes these rulers as being a terror to evil works, not good works, right. which to me strongly implies that they have um, the morals, they have the standards of God himself as they carry out their role, and and that's why um, – a, a good leader, um, let me say it right out, is a Christian leader that believes in God's law. Uh, he he will praise us, as it were, um, when we do what's right, when we do what's good. And, and in that sense, he's God's minister to us for good. Um, do I kind of have that right?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh Uh, Romans 13 is very clear, and that language you use is very important. He's a terror to those who commit evil, but immediately we must ask ourselves, well, by what standard does he (laughs) judge? And, of course, the standard is the law of God. And for someone who says, well, does this mean that we have to obey only Christians? And the answer is no. But what it does mean is that rulers, even those who are not Christians, are nonetheless bound to enforce the moral law of God, and in societies influenced by the Christian faith, even if there are unbelieving rulers, and we've had a number in the United States like this, uh, who recognize that. A prime example, by the way, is a Democratic president during the last part of World War II and during the the, uh, the Korean War, Harry Truman. Uh, fascinating. There's no evidence at all the man was a Christian, yet nonetheless he gave a speech after he left the presidency remarkable speech i think it was to a chamber of commerce saying everyone knows that the american law our american law base uh, was founded on the laws of moses
0: mm-hmm.
1: now no democrat let alone probably most republicans would acknowledge that today but here's an example of a man that even though an unbeliever recognized the authority of god's law in the united states when on the other hand as you've sort of hinted there dan you have rulers who instead of blessing those who are righteous and protecting those who are righteous, actually persecuting and harming the righteous and rewarding the evil, well, that, of course, is a perversion of Romans 13, a perversion of the responsibility of the civil magistrate. And, of course, Christians uh, must obey. And this relentless attack, increasing attack, uh, I live in California, you live in New York, so we both live in states with very, quote, progressive governors uh, who are constantly at war with... um, the Church of Jesus Christ, singling it out, as a matter of fact, uh, for uh, hostility uh, during this time. The Church must, must resist. And as I pointed out, I think, last time on your show, in a sense, this is good in, uh, so that we can see, uh, the Scripture talks about those who are approved of God and those who aren't. We're really finding out which churches are faithful to the Lord, mm. and which really are given to expediency and not faithfulness.
0: mm mm-hmm. It's a wonderful thing when our civil magistrates, our government, uh, reflects just the simple moral law of God, where they believe that, you know, murder is wrong. (laughs) It's a sinful thing. Or uh, another example, they believe it's wrong to steal, and whether that's stealing money uh, redistributing it to others, a form of communism, or whether that's stealing votes. Now, what do you think of the, the recent election stuff? Have you been following it at all?
1: Following it a little. Um, been reading other things, but uh, there's no question every vote should be counted. There's no question that uh, the Democratic Party for years has been uh, at war historically with the American Uh, election system and their progressivism and undermining that so it's no surprise that there would be uh, irregularities during this and I I think that there's a worldview behind that I mean it's easy for us if we're looking right into the politics to say oh this was a a, uh, an evil democratic act but behind it is a way of thinking and that democratic way of thinking the quote progressive way of thinking is that they are entitled as elitists entitled to hold the election so Any time there could be a close election, well, obviously, obviously they would have won, because they're entitled to it. Mm -hmm. But that's a worldview issue, fundamentally.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Well, today we're talking with Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin, and uh, he's a friend of ours and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership in Coulterville, California. Um, Andrew, sometimes you get together with some of your friends and put on conferences, and um, have you done any conferences recently, and how did they go?
1: Yes, a good question. In fact, you were just asking about the election. Right after the election, we had our symposium uh, in San Francisco in the belly of the beast. Speaking of progressivism, <laughs> and we discussed the election. And but because there's more this year than the election, we've discussed the COVID restrictions, and uh, Black Lives Matter, and the riots. And uh, all of these things that seem to have converged uh, and I think constitute a diabolical and satanic attack on Christianity and the church uh, and the faith. Uh, that's Those are some of the things we discussed. It was a very healthy and good discussion, all good, strong Bible-believing, conservative people there. We don't always agree on every single point, but we always have great, uh, honest, and uh, brotherly discussions. So, yeah, it went really well, and thanks for asking about that, Dan. I appreciate it.
0: Now uh, you mentioned an interesting term, and that's satanic. And um, you know, we're Christians. Uh, we believe that God rules; the Lord is Lord over all. Um, but Satan is still alive. Uh, I don't agree with the with the title of one book that Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. But um, he's uh, he's very um, defeated. He's crippled. He's you know, And yet he still has an effect, and, and I feel very strongly that we're seeing satanic influence in these particular items that you just mentioned. And yet, as Christians, we're not to fear that. How should we respond when we realize that Satan is having a heyday in some people's lives, but we are to stand firm? How, how does that work?
1: Yeah, excellent question. I think one way to understand that is how we see in. notion in the book of Revelation and the statement that Satan becomes and I'm sort of paraphrasing, but Satan becomes fiercer, knowing that he has but a short time. He knows he's defeated and therefore as a defeated foe he knows he's going down to eventual defeat he is is fiercely battling the church of Jesus Christ and uh, the saints so you've really expressed it very well in a balanced way the the biblical view is not Manichaean that is that God uh, and Satan and good and evil are um, equally pitted against one another, and we're waiting with bated breath to find out which one will win. Matthew. That's just false. That's a denial of the sovereignty of God. Nonetheless, the Bible does teach, though Satan is not alive and well on planet Earth, Satan is alive on planet Earth. And it seems that we, as we read the Bible, we can understand why that is. God, of course, could people ask, well, why is there evil? Why is there Satan in the world? Well, God is sovereign. He could destroy, could destroy them tomorrow. But that's not his plan. God created Adam and Eve, and they fell, and then he gave them a new commission, sent his son to die. So what God is really wanting to do is man, godly man, godly man and woman, to obey God and through the power of the Spirit of God, and through, of course, most of all, the Son of God, defeat Satan on the plane of time and history. And so that's why he allows this battle to go on. His son had to take human form in battle, and we are following in his steps. We're not perfect like him, of course, but nonetheless following in his steps to do this great battle with Satan. And that's why I believe that before the end, uh, the church will, through the power of the Spirit, and Christ's reign in heaven, trample down Satan under feet. But we haven't gotten to that point yet, and that describes why there's a battle. There's a battle because God wants us to defeat Satan, and not for him simply to crush him and have everything over tomorrow
0: yeah that that is a very important distinction um I think sometimes we read uh first Corinthians fifteen about the resurrection and all of that, and we kind of tend to skip over the fact that that it says he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. We kind of miss that, and yet that's such a blessing to the people of God, and it gives us a confidence in what he is doing in his world.
1: It is. And, a, boy, a companion text that's very poignant on that, Dan, is in Hebrews. I think it's Hebrews 2, Hebrews 1 or 2. It speaks of Christ's ruling. Same language. Same metaphor, but it says we do not yet see all things put under his feet. Right. What what he's basically saying there is is Satan has definitively been crushed under the feet of, of the Lord at the cross. But however, the effects of that work themselves out in time and history. We do not see that the effects of all of that crushing yet. So we're in the best of both worlds. We're on the winning side. Yes. Uh, but nonetheless, we're also in battle. God has called us to battle, and we can rejoice. that we are, He is the captain, speaking of uh, Hebrew's language. He's the captain of our salvation. There's a military term, the captain of our salvation. <laughs> we're in his army, and he's leading us into victory. Well, that requires battles, and sometimes bloody battles. But the good news is we know we're going to win.
0: Yes, yes, very true. We've been talking with Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin, and he is president of the Center for Cultural Leadership in Coulterville, California. And we share many of the same, um, I don't know, feelings about culture, Andrew. You're yeah. far more advanced than I, but uh, we really appreciate your work there. And if someone would like to learn more, visit your website, whatever. Can you give us uh, some information how they can get in touch with you, maybe order books or, or whatever, just follow your work.
1: You bet. Thank you so much for letting me do that, Dan. Yes, the website for CCL, Center for Culture and Leadership, is simply ChristianCulture. That's written as one word, solidly.com. You can get go to my blog at DocSandlin. Again, one word, DocSandlin.com. You can order the book, Religionless Christianity, and other, uh, just scores of other CCL books, e-books and hard copy books, uh, on Amazon, just do a, a search for my name, P. Andrew Sandlin, or Andrew Sandlin, and you'll find all those. Uh, you can also subscribe to the newsletter, AndrewSandlin at Substack dot com. You didn't know you'd get yourself into all of this, did you, Dan? All of these things I'm <laughs> listing now. But oh, I think it's great. Yeah, your listeners can get them, there, and they can always just contact me at one of those places. And um, and I appreciate so much your your ministry. And uh, I don't know if I'm much farther along than you are. Like you said, I appreciate. What you're doing in advancing the kingdom—it means so much to me.
0: Um, one last thing—I'm I'm thinking of someone, not not with a name, but some. I think there's many who have been um, shut alone in a room. They they are lonely. Uh, they're not seeing people. Maybe once in a while they're blessed with a Zoom. Any words of encouragement for that possibly older person today, who is uh, alone? Uh, they 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 long for a friend and they they can't even have a friend because they're told, oh, no, with covid, you can't you can't be with any 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 words of wisdom for that person today.
1: You bet there's uh, that, by the way, is one of the great tragedies of the lockdown orders. We've had probably like you, we know of dear friends, uh, one who passed away almost alone and many, though, hundreds thousands have done that just because of these silly lockdown orders. Yes, I do have a couple of words. If you have access to the Bible, as I'm sure you should digitally or a hard copy, I hope you'll read and meditate on the 90th and the 91st Psalm. And uh, even beyond there, going through the early 100s of the Psalms, they're wonderful in giving great comfort. And another book in the New Testament that gives profound comfort is the book of John, just the Gospel of John, and the presence of the Lord and his truth. I think that's vital. But I think another thing that's so important to recognize, and this is something maybe we can do an entire program on sometime, Dan, not today, but, and that is the reality of the indwelling Christ, union with Christ. Uh, The Bible teaches that Christ is united to us in a way that we can't really understand, Uh, though the Roman Catholic idea of transubstantiation is wrong. Nonetheless, there is a reality that Christ is within us and is joined to us, the Great reformer John Calvin, in fact, that was almost the central of his central point of his theology, and so salvation doctrine, union with Christ, so for these folks to recognize that through the power of the Holy Spirit of God Christ wherever they 're sitting alone, locked in a room, Christ is right there pa- i mean right there, palpably with them, mm. not his physical body, but as it were, as though it were his physical body, he is just as much there with them, comforting them, talking to them, and they can talk with him through the power of the Spirit.
0: That's a beautiful way to end today. Praise God. Our guest is Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin, and Andrew, thanks so much for sharing your precious time with our listeners today.
1: God bless you, Dan. I appreciate you so much, and look forward to next time.
0: (laughs) Me too. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.